What's up, everybody? Welcome to Conversation Peace with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to our returning listeners, and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. Thank you so much. November is National Adoption Awareness Month. For too long, adoptee voices have not been centered in conversations around adoption, and that has led to a one-sided narrative dominated by adoptive parents and adoption agencies. For the last few years or so, even longer actually, that's been changing. And this month, we're joining the chorus of adoptees who have been sharing their stories by highlighting Asian American adoptees right here in Indiana. Today, I am joined by Amy Plucharzik, an Asian American adoptee, diving coach, and newly minted social worker. Amy, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you here. Amy and I met probably eight months ago, I'd say. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Within the last year. Yeah. And we are part of the Indiana Adoptee Group of Asian Adoptees. Mm -hmm. And we were talking before we got into the studio about having met in person just one time yeah. at a dinner. At dinner, yeah. <laughs> but we had a really great conversation that night, and I'm really excited to be able to have you here to have this conversation today. Um, I gave a few introductory pieces about you, but for anybody who's listening or watching who may not know who you are, do you mind sharing a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I grew up on the north side of Indy in a suburb. I'm currently a diving coach, and I work at a bar for fun. It's I love it. Um, I went to I completed my undergrad at Miami University in Ohio, and then I completed my master's in social work at UIndy University of Indianapolis. And on the adoption side of things, I am reconnected or like in reunion with all of my biological siblings and some extended family members, but. Okay, amazing. How many siblings are you reunited with, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so on my maternal side, there's five of us. Oh, wow. Yeah, all girls. And then on the paternal side, there's also five of us, but one brother, or two brothers and four girls. So you are oh, one of 10 total siblings then, on both um, sides? 11? I'm going to say yes, but <laughs> we're not doing we don't know of everyone. Do yeah. There's some siblings that are too young right now, so we don't know if there could be more too. So Okay. Yeah. Well, I know that we're not going to dive into <laughs> the particulars of your story, but I think that's right. really, really interesting. There mm -hmm. are a ton of, you have a ton of sibling connections here and yeah. you're connected with all of them. Um, do you mind sharing just a little bit about that process? Like when did you first reconnect mm -hmm. with uh, your siblings? So I first reconnected with my first sibling when I'd say about 2015-ish. That Don't quote me on that. But <laughs> it's a funny story because I was actually at a diving meet and I got a random DM from this random girl on Twitter and I thought it was spam because this girl was like, hey, I think we're siblings. Like, I think you're my sister. But then I started talking to her and the names were matching up and I talked to my dad about everything and we were like, oh my gosh we might be half siblings. And then from there, I was the second sibling she had found. Mm. And then we knew there were probably two other siblings, but for about two years, it was just the three of us fighting each other because one of our siblings was under 18, so we couldn't really do much. Okay. 
But then I turned 18, went to college, first semester of college, and my phone starts blowing up and I'm just in my dorm room. And they're like, oh my gosh, Amy, we have another sibling. And I was like, what? And it turns out it was a full sibling. Mm. And she, we call each other twins. We look like twins, so okay. that's good. And then from there, we found more siblings from my father's side, like the paternal side. And yeah, that's good. That is absolutely yeah. amazing. And it's, so I've been doing this work. I've been, I came to consciousness a little over three years ago mm -hmm. now. And I feel like even within that span of time, it's been a lot, a lot of yeah. things have happened. And you've been doing this, we'll say give or take since 2015. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say I was in consciousness, but sure. I, I'd say within the last three years, I finally came to consciousness because... Well, and I yeah. think it's really interesting that you not only connected with a sibling who was doing an active search for other folks, but mm -hmm. also that you were able to be there throughout the process of finding other siblings. You weren't mm -hmm. just the last person right. to come into the mix. How has that been? What was it like to just go through that process? Were you actively involved in it as well? Or were you like, you've already got a handle on it. I'm going to let you <laughs> take it and just no, hit me up yeah. when you find some other people. Yeah, no. So I was involved in it, but not to the extent as my other siblings were like the sibling who found me, she was really involved, but we did a lot of Facebook searching and then we finally did DNA tests and then that led to other things. But, um, by the time my full sibling had found me, because she actually knew about me my whole life, oh, but she waited okay. until I turned 18, and I did not know about her. But she knew I existed, and then she knew a few other siblings existed, but they were also hard to get in contact with because they were under 18, mm. so we didn't want to like ruin anything there, you know? But I did a lot of Facebook searching, but... I wouldn't have, I'd say that wasn't like one of my priorities at the time, sure. but you were things in have changed. I was in college. I was a freshman in college. <laughs> yeah. I was diving. So yeah. I can only imagine that being another thing added to your plate. And then, like you said, you know, you're kind of pre-consciousness, yeah. pre out of the fog to use language mm -hmm. that a lot of us out use. Of fog, yeah. Um, and it's, it's just a lot. And I think even in this short, uh, kind of explainer here about your reunion journey that you've been on, it really highlights the complexities of even just one part of yeah. adoption and the adoptee experience. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it is necessary context for the conversation we're about to dive into mm -hmm. now, which is specifically what we do on the show here is addressing the missing pieces of those conversations that we have. And for the series in November, we're going to be talking about the missing pieces of that conversation around the adoptee experience. So Amy, mm -hmm. I just want to get right to it and ask you from your perspective, what do you feel like is a missing piece of that conversation around our experiences as adoptees? I think a very big missing piece that's missing is in regards to the different types of Asian adoptees and those mm. experiences. And then the way your identity develops throughout the lifespan and then the disconnection you might feel when reconnecting with your culture you come from or not even doing that. It's, yeah. I love it. And listeners of the show will know that I've gone out length about yeah, this particular yeah, subject. Yeah. Um, but I want to hear from you. What do, can you 
dive into it just a little bit more about what you mean when you say the different aspects of Asian adoptees mm-hmm. specifically? So when, from my experience of connecting with the Asian adoptees of Indiana, I've kind of felt myself feeling a little like not left out, but I have a different experience because I'm not a Korean American adoptee mm. or Chinese American adoptee. And I just have a different experience of maybe like reunion, like the opportunity of reunion or getting in contact with other people. Sure. But yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, so the New York Times and a lot of publications recently, mm-hmm. but the one that's been going around the most, I think, and gained the most traction is a, an article by the New York Times about the Korean adoption or the adoption industry out of South Korea. Yeah. And it labeled, I think the headline was like world's largest exporter of children or baby yeah. or whatever it is. And while factually correct, I think something that we lose a lot in our conversations around the adoptee community specifically, especially within the community, is that just because we might be the biggest in number does not mean that we are the only or that that is the dominant experience that needs to be talked about the Mm -hmm. most. Like it is one experience for sure. And those not and it's always great to have numbers and facts and statistics to back it up. But it's really important that we are aware of the larger fabric that we're a part of. And especially coming from Asia, a continent made up of more than 50 countries um, with even more cultures and religions and identities and things that make up all of those countries. Right. You know, I think it's really, it, it does get lost in our community a little bit. And I wonder, like you said, you know, feeling a little left out sometimes, a little on the outside of some conversations because our group even in in Indiana is predominantly Korean and Chinese. Mm -hmm. Um, How have you found yourself connecting to Filipino, Filipina community, culture, heritage in Indiana as you've navigated this journey? So I've actually really struggled to find places to connect in Indiana, but I do have the opportunity to find connections like in Los Angeles, because that's where my biological siblings are Mm. and getting to know my culture through them, because some of them are still with bio parents and learning about the Filipino culture that way. But in Indiana, I'd say I'm making an effort, like, for example, there's an Ube Fest this weekend, and I've making an effort to go to like be part of that a hundred percent community. Yeah. That's the, and hard here. It is hard here. And I think that it's hard because I think even getting away from adoption in the adoptee community for a second, I think for Asian America outside of the coast, there is not always, but sometimes a disconnectivity Mm -hmm. between the different, diasporic communities that exist, wherever that might be. And I think that's very true here, at least from my perspective in Indiana, is that there are a number of different uh, ethnicities, Asian ethnicities that make up Asian America here in Indianapolis and Indiana in the state. But for whatever reason, there's not a lot of like cross community or cross organizational conversations happening. Yeah. and that can make it really difficult when someone is 
maybe from a maybe identifies as part of a community that's not as large as say a Korean or a Chinese or an East Asian community who's trying to find their way right. into whatever that experience might be. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you first find any connection to Filipino Filipina culture here in Indy? Like, what was there a, an in for you, or did you have to like create it for yourself? Um, the first connect. I don't. That's a hard question because I'd say right now I still don't feel as connected to the Filipino culture in India. Okay. One, that's a, a different conversation, but the Filipino culture is really hard because, like, to be part of if you're not born into it because the culture kind of doesn't support adoption, so it's mm. not something that's talked about a lot. But um, I'd say... Just meeting other Asian adoptees in Indianapolis or Indiana and then just immersing myself with other people that are Asian. Okay. Is <laughs> getting me there. For and sure. Finding events through them. For sure. Everyone. Um, any events that you've been able to attend that stand out to you so far? Um, I went to Asian Fest this summer. That was the summer. Yeah. Okay. Um, that was fun. And I met more Filipinos, but not everyone was Filipino adoptees, so sure. it felt different. But I did meet some Filipino adoptees, but, um, and then, yeah, that's about it. Okay. I've been just trying to hang out with more people who look like me in general, just Asian. It's That's how I'm immersing myself. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's wild how powerful it can be to just be in the same physical yeah. space with somebody who looks yeah. like you. Um, And also it can be, again, talking about the complexities of the adoptee experience, it can be really overwhelming sometimes when you don't have the cultural connection and you're not hanging out with folks who are not adopted or who don't have an understanding of that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, As you've built or found, are you building, I guess, uh, a little kind of Filipino, Filipina community for yourself here? Um. I do not have one, but I'm open. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm open, so if, there, if you know anyone. Okay, I didn't yeah. know if any of those folks it's that you had met at the events, like at Asian Fest, oh. you were able to start, you know, forming yeah. something like that for yourself. Even if, not even like there, official, no. it's just like, hey, do you want to grab some yeah. coffee? You know, like it just yeah. hang out. No, I haven't gotten there yet, but. <laughs> it's hard. It's, yeah, it is. It's hard, it's hard. To, to take that step. I've been personally reckoning with the difficulties in connecting with Korean culture specifically and Mm -hmm. Korean folks. And we were talking a little bit before the show about how we identify. And lately I've been understanding, I think a little bit how much I identify more specifically as an Asian American than I do as Korean American Mm -hmm. um, because of a number of different reasons, but mainly because I feel like I've been defining Asian American as resistance and it's a resistance to feeling forced to have to learn and know and be an expert in Korean culture when I never had the opportunity to have that for 30 years. Right. Yeah. And how and realizing how difficult it is (laughs) after 30 years to try and start learning all of that now, especially when I've come to the, uh, I've come to terms with the fact that I'll probably never know the language. Right. <laughs> like yeah, that's another the language. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's really difficult. And just understanding that that's okay. Yep. And a lot of times my mind 
even though in my heart and soul I know it's okay, my mind is telling me that there's something wrong. Right. And I'm like trying to have to navigate that contradiction. It's like the brain is like fighting itself. It's yeah, like, 100%. Yeah. Well, it's like there's the three different layers. Like there's the inner, like that core brain, and then yeah. there's the emotional brain, and then there's the logical Logic, brain or yeah. whatever the, the thing is. I was just talking about in therapy the other day. But um, it's just trying, again, we talked about balance, trying to find balance. the balance between yes, it all. Yes, I'm all about balance. And it is... It's tough. It's, it's tough, tough for sure. Um, so you talked about how, particularly within our own group, how we are predominantly East Asian adoptees and we can, I don't know if we specifically, but just in general in the community can feel like we are missing out on other folks, uh, other Asian diasporic adoptees um, who are not East Asian, who come from other countries, who have different mm -hmm. experiences. How do you feel like, especially after going through and doing social work and, and really immersing yourself in that field, do you, how do you feel like we need to go about addressing that for ourselves within our own community to make sure maybe I'm calling in East Asian folks specifically, how do we make sure that we are including Filipinos, Filipinas, Vietnamese adoptees, Southeast, Middle Eastern, you know, Central Asian adoptees. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we are not only being inclusive, but fostering a space of, of belonging mm -hmm. for other folks? I think we in Indy do a really good job. Like I, like you said, the power, like how powerful it is just being in the same room as people. Mm -hmm. Like I was just recently talking to my sister before I got here, like my bio, my full sister about the first time I went to a meal with you guys and how powerful that was for me. So I think having that space and opportunity to have that, like sit down with people and be like, oh, people have the same, like people know how I feel. Right. Like I know it's not going to be, everyone knows it's not going to be the same. Like no one has the same experience, but just opening up the conversation to talk and having those adoptee only events was really helpful for me. Okay. And I think also someone had brought up like a rating scale for like where you're at with the consciousness of being an adoptee sure. and your racial identity. I think that was really important because I do think that there are some people who might not be as far along with their identity as we are, or like just in general, like 100%. racial identity. So just having that and being aware of knowing that just makes it easier to be feeling like, oh, I do belong here. Like there are people that are in the same scale rating as I am <laughs> right now or, but like also for other Asian adoptees, it's just, it was important for me to know that no one's gonna have the same experience, but there are people that will understand. A hundred percent. And I think that that understanding is so important, mm -hmm. uh, even if it's not like a full, like I fully understand yeah. because obviously like we are two different, we come from exactly. two different ethnicities and two different cultures. Like, and we've just even had two different, completely different upbringings, yeah. even though we grew up in the same state. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't mean that we fully understand, but it's like a willingness. To willingness to. and empathy. Yeah. And an empathy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any like. I like those two suggestions, especially like the rating scale of like where you're at, because it helps to you can connect then even further mm -hmm. within the group and like, OK, I that group exactly. over here is on an eight and yeah. I'm only on a four. I'm going to maybe stay over here. Yeah, <laughs> there might be some stuff coming yeah. up over there. Is there anything else that you would like to see from events like these to help, again, foster 
inclusion, belonging, foster the feeling of, oh, I can show up here as who I am instead mm-hmm. of trying to maybe be somebody that I'm not or somebody that mm-hmm. the community thinks I should be. I think this we do you guys do a really good job of being inclusive and being opening and welcoming but there comes a point where like you as the person have to be able to be like okay I'm gonna do this Mm. and I'm gonna go meet them you know ah okay yeah like there's so much that you guys can do but there's also so much that I had to do as well gotcha like at the individual yeah okay and I but I did get the push because for that dinner, I was about, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go. I'm going to, I'm going to bail. And I sat in the parking lot for 30 minutes. Okay. But I was like, you know what? Like, I know I need to do this and I have the support and just like reading the text of like how people have connected and like stay connected. It was that. That was it for me. Okay, yeah. interesting. I yeah. did not know that you sat out there yeah. for thirty minutes, and yeah. I can definitely, I can definitely resonate with that hesitancy, the fear, the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. even of it. Even though, like, it's more so being Asian and adopted than mm-hmm. it is like really anything super specific. It's just like these two identities that we share. It still feels like, am I enough of either right. either yeah. of these things? And so I, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that you kind of <laughs> went through that. What did you, I mean, how did you feel leaving that dinner? Like, do you remember the feelings um, that you had after that? Because from my perspective, it felt like you were just like, had been part of the group for a long time. Really? You've just been no. chilling. Like you were like, you were there for it. And like you were engaged in all the conversations that we have. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I remember. So like, mm-hmm. what, what do you remember about like when um, you left? I remember that? when I let me start from when I got there. So okay, okay, okay. I was obviously hesitant and then we sit down and I'm still hesitant and I'm just <laughs> sitting there and I'm like, okay, okay, this is fine. But then as we started talking, I just got like everything in me just like relaxed. I was mm. like, okay. the Like like I said, I told my sister, I was like, there's people in this world that know how I feel mm. that have been through very similar experiences. And I was like, okay. And then I left and I was like, wow, I need to do that again. Like, I'm really proud of myself for like being able to get out of that car and sit down and stay. And I was excited for like more opportunities, which does bring me back to one thing um, that you said that we could do. Yeah. Um, I think encouragement for being active in like the group settings was, it was something that I needed. Okay. And I don't know if I'm sure other people might feel the same way because like new people that are added, it's it's intimidating to be added into that group. I remember yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like, oh, all these people already know each other and like I don't know where I'm at compared to them. And like it sure. was just as an adoptee, you're growing up comparing yourself. So right. being like being in that group, I was just like, I don't know. But the encouragement was good, like a lot of encouragement. And honestly, this might not be good for everyone, but being called out and be like, Hey, Amy, are you coming? Like, Like, yeah, that would have been like, yeah, sure. Gotcha. Okay. All right. The encouragement. I like that. I like that. Here's the thing. I feel like we have been, and I take this accountability for myself on this is just like, I've gotten so busy with other stuff and this is like making excuses now, but like just trying to keep up with the group as it grows trying to figure out where can we meet and do things and then still meeting virtually or whatever the case might be. I feel like I haven't been as good as uh, bringing that encouragement and setting us up to thrive in a way as like a, mm-hmm. a, a new community. And so I appreciate hearing that because I'm like, okay, 
I'm thinking in my mind as I as we move along in time, like what do we need to do to like make sure people feel okay here? Mm-hmm. And if it's just encouragement, like maybe not just encouragement, but if encouragement is one of the keys, like okay, that's great to know mm-hmm. because I can be active in the chat. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, and exactly. And it's like if that's what it takes to help some folks feel like they can participate, you know, and they have the not that you need the permission, right. but sometimes it does feel like, you know, like you were saying, it's like the encouragement kind of pushed, spurred you into yeah. action a little bit. And yeah, I do remember one thing was that since we were eating at, I think it was a Korean barbecue. Yeah. Right. I don't have a lot of experience at sure. Korean barbecue. So I was like, oh my gosh. And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't know what any of this, like, I don't know what any of this is. But I have been to Korean barbecue like a few times before, but it was with my sister who... Sure was adopted into Filipino family. So she would just order for me. She's like, you'll like this. And I was like, okay. So I never had to do it on my own. But yeah. And also another thing was like, I hope that one day we can like find a way to hang out and not have to like spend loads of money, like money, you know? Right. That is another thing. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So sidebar, just really, that's something that I've been talking about with some folks in the group about like, how do we maintain consistency and like how we gather and when we gather how do we also make it sustainable so like for people's capacity because everybody's at different points Mm -hmm. new people are joining the group like every two weeks i feel like and it's like i want to be able i want to make sure that people not only feel welcomed but also feel like oh i'm not just in a chat i'm just not part of another group text message no i get that you know so okay so lots of things that i'm thinking about yeah the consistency part i think if i had come into a group where i'd known like oh they're consistently meeting like once a month yeah i would be like okay i can go this month yeah yeah, yeah, like oh maybe not this month but i know they're gonna meet next month so i know i can do that but yeah the that just was going through my head right now yeah but if I had a house <laughs> sure. and uh, the resources, I'd be like, yeah, let's come to mine, <laughs> you know? Okay, all right. You know? I like that. All right, I've got a lot of ideas. I know ideas. people are busy, so. True. I've got a lot of ideas swirling in my head that um, hopefully we can start implementing yeah. here. But hopefully we can do something. Yeah, we're going to make it happen. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking a lot about, like, the internal community, not only, like, your own experience, but the experience we've had in the group of adoptees uh, as adoptees. And I hope that for people listening, they kind of see not only the complex nature of what it means to navigate it as yourself, but to navigate even the local community of people as you try to, like, find your way yeah, into that. find your way. Um for those folks who don't share this identity and this lived experience, how do they help support us as adoptees and making sure that they're addressing what you talked about specifically as in the breadth of diversity within mm-hmm. the Asian adoptee community? How do mm-hmm. folks outside of that community make sure that they're supporting us in that endeavor? So that was a good question, actually. But um, you didn't prepare me for that. But I <laughs> do. You. I always have answers. Um, I have some friends that have been really supportive of my journey because they've been there since I came to consciousness. Sure. And it helps me. I don't know if it'll help anyone else, but I'll just get random like TikToks or videos of stuff like relating to like Asian adoptee experiences or just um, them being aware of like how adoption just the impact of adoption in general, but also the encouragement from them to be with people, like to meet up with you guys, mm. like be, meet up with people. Yeah. Just 
I'm a big encouragement girl. So I like it. Yeah, I think that's what it is for me. But just being aware of like adoption and the little comments of people like just stay away from the comments of like, oh, I'm just going to adopt or like something like that. Just be aware sure. of like adoption in general, like the problem with adoption. Yeah. Well, like, it's, yeah. yeah, go ahead. You know, it's, I feel like adoption is never going to go away. But if you're conscious and aware of the impacts, psychological and physical impacts of adoption, like you can make the experience support the experience of the adoptee a hundred percent well there's like so many again the one of the biggest issues with the narrative around adoption is it's so one-sided yeah. so happily ever after focused and it's been that way for ever happily ever after yeah and you like literally went to school and wrote a paper on it yeah. like you studied a bunch of other papers <laughs> and like wrote a paper about that and i think that's something from again, kind of shifting back to inside of our community, that has been a challenge, has been taking the scholastic work and the academic work that adoptees have started to do and have been doing, you know, for a while now, and making that accessible to folks, not only within the community, but outside of it specifically, Mm -hmm. like to really take these concepts and distill them in a way that folks like start to understand mm-hmm. and sh- again can shift the narrative away from being so focused on one singular type of experience, which right. is it's really positive and everybody's lives happily ever after and understanding that no, there is and so many other things that are happening here. Yeah. Um, Adoptees grow up. <laughs> we become adults. We are <laughs> we not just up. infants exactly. the entire time. We grow up. Um, do you have, as somebody who just like did like a lot of research into this, do you have any ideas or thoughts about how we can take some of those concepts and, and make them a little bit more, maybe not palatable, but again, accessible, I think. Mm, that's a good question. Didn't, didn't prepare you for this. No, you didn't. didn't. <laughs> um, more accessible. I think one I wouldn't have known about any of this if I hadn't done the research, but doing the research was a, a, an experience in itself Sure. So that you have to be like, you need to be able to do it like mentally <laughs> right? because it was a lot. It was hard and I wouldn't say that I was ready for it, but I did it and I just didn't know where or who to share the information with. Mm. So like just knowing like, connecting with people? I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. Sure. Well, I mean, I think part of the answer for you, if I've heard it correctly, is like just finding community in general. Yeah. And like not only do adoptees need to build the community and find the community for each other, but like people outside of our community especially can help to facilitate that, connect each other, Mm -hmm. um, connect folks, you know, and it's not just okay, there's probably a problematic way to do that right. for people. Like, be oh, like, yeah. oh, you're adopted? Like, oh, no. my friend is adopted. You guys will get along great. Oh, yeah, like, exactly. That's probably the wrong way <laughs> like, to go about it. Like, that's not how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, that's like, if we can figure out ways to make the research more accessible. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to go back to like, I was able to do the research because I had the resources because I sure, was sure, in sure. school. Right. But that stuff isn't even accessible to me anymore. So right. like, how am I going to keep doing the research? Am I going to pay 
money right. to read. <laughs> the scholastic journals are so expensive. Scholarly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they're so expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we're going to figure it out. We're yeah. figuring it out right now. We're on our way. Um, Amy, I appreciate you sharing everything you've shared so far. And as we come up on our time here, Mm -hmm. um, I just have a few other questions. Um, The first one is, you know, you've just recently we were talking about before we we got on air, but we were you just finished up your degree. You know, Mm -hmm. you got your licensure and you're like, I'm done (laughs) doing any of this stuff right now. I got to take a break. I got to take a break. who were you or who are you learning from right now or who are you learning from at that time where you were really immersed in it? Like who are some people that you've taken a lot of knowledge from, learned a lot of different mm-hmm. things about, maybe even challenged your own perspective about what it means to be an adoptee? So I learned a lot doing my research papers in school. And I also learned a lot from, I actually had seen your page. Oh, before I knew you. Yeah, I Amazing. saw your page. Yeah, <laughs> I'd seen your page. And then there's another Instagram person. Like, sh- she's on Instagram. The handle is the Empress Han. Oh, learned a the lot. Empress Han. Han. Yes. Uh, Empress Han. Okay, me no, and vowels good. are bad. You're all good. Like, you're all good. Think about me in a different language. Vowels <laughs> are bad. <laughs> I, I, I've pronounced things wrong my whole life. But yeah, the Empress Han. And then just... Um, a lot of the resources from school. For sure. Yeah. Any particular hard. researcher or book or something that you came across that really like stood out to you as something like, oh, this is yes. my, I, won't, I don't want to say Bible, but this is like my dictionary, my encyclopedia that I like to re- reference or go back to. The one I really, really love to go back to and reference is I'm really blanking on the name, but I could tell you it's the one about like, out of like out of the fog into the consciousness like that one i think it's by do you know what i'm talking about i think so maybe i have it on here is it is it kim mckee's disrupting kinship disrupting Uh, kinship no it was something about into the consciousness or like out of the fog into the consciousness We'll figure it out. We'll yeah, we'll figure it out. Us. We can put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll Just be available for people. Looking at that, it's probably not, it's actually not in this paper, but it's a different <laughs> paper that I didn't bring. But um, just even seeing that for myself while I was doing the research, I was like, whoa. And I sent it to all my siblings. I was like, you guys need to look at this. But some of them weren't ready to see that sure. yet. Yeah. But um, just that model was great because it's different points that people where people are at or find themselves and like usually like the steps that people would go through during that process of being sure. coming to consciousness. Well, especially for someone and who has now reunited with so many siblings, mm-hmm. like I'm sure you were able to see all of the different places somebody could be in that journey. Oh yeah. Like I think oh, it's yeah. I think it's one thing to go on it by yourself and like see people parasocially on yeah. on social media. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other thing to be like in a family of people right. that you've now reconnected that are in with different that are like places, yeah. completely different. I'm sure it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I can only imagine 100. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I have a bonus question here before we ask our final question. Okay. Um, this has nothing to do with adoption. But okay. You mentioned at the top of the thing that you are a diving coach. You were a diver mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. Um, what is okay? It's actually a two-parter. What okay. is your favorite thing about diving, and what's something? about diving that is either a misconception or something that people would not expect. Oh, wow. Okay. 
I'd say my favorite part about diving is that it's a team sport, but you're doing it individually. Okay. Like at the end of the day, you're going to go to a competition and you're, you have to show up for yourself first before you can show up for the team. So that like teaches you, I taught a lot of like accountability, like finding ways to motivate myself, motivate myself to do better. And I, I feel like I learned a lot of life lessons just being on a individual team sport is what okay. I would like to call it. And then a misconception. Everyone thinks that we're swimmers. <laughs> like the only swimming I do is like doggy paddling to the side of the pool. Like other than that, like I can tread water, but like okay. I'm, I don't swim. Like I can't, like I can swim, but like I'm not going, like we don't swim for fun. You're not doing laps. No, we're not doing laps. We're swimming to get out of the pool. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're okay. swimming to get to the top of the water or to get out of the pool. That's all. Okay. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I would have honestly probably categorized. I knew <laughs> divers in when I was uh, in high school, and yeah. I probably would have said that they were swimmers. No, not just we divers. just share a pool. That's okay. All. I like it. Sometimes we don't even share a pool. They have their own pool. We have our own pool. Yeah. But. You stay in the long lap pool. We'll stay over here. Yeah. And the deep pool that we can just yes. get very quickly get out of. Yeah, exactly. Very quickly. <laughs> or sometimes it's if it's cold out, we'll just sit in the water a little bit, but... We'll be like, yeah, you got to get out of the water. So I absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Um, love to learn about all of my guests and all of the specific things that we're part of because we're not just adoptees at the end of the mm -hmm. day. You know, we have we carry a lot of different things that are part of our different adoption. identities. And you're a diver, like mm -hmm. that's part of who you are. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, as we wrap it up here, Amy, one. Thank you so much for sharing everything you've shared here and teaching not only myself, but uh, the people who are listening, the people who are watching a little bit more about this experience. And uh, as we move forward, how do we, how does our audience support you this month? And how do we get connected with you if we want to connect with you, if you want people to mm -hmm. connect with you going forward as well? Yeah. Um, first, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share. Yeah. And support this month, I just... The encourage, like I, I'm a big encouragement girl. So <laughs> encouragement to be part of my community, to just to be active, like not sit in my house all day <laughs> doing nothing, but like <laughs> at least make an effort to like be out there is good. But um, also, if you want to follow me on social media, I have an Instagram. You can follow me at Amy Plo, A M Y P L O. But yeah, that's about all I use. <laughs> I try it. Yeah. I feel you. There are too many social media apps. Yeah. I don't have Twitter. Uh, yeah. I don't have Facebook. Yeah. I basically just use Instagram. I don't use threads anymore. I used right. it for like two days yeah. and got off. Oh, of I do have a TikTok that I use for um, my coaching, but okay. it's mainly diving and rock climbing. So. And rock climbing. Yeah, I, I know. I climbing. forgot to mention that actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. That'll be the next time. We'll have to yeah. talk a little bit more about rock yeah. climbing, but yeah. Amy, I can't thank you enough again for coming on here, thank for you. sharing, for being a part of the show. Um, for everybody else out there, you can find links to all of the things that we talked about, including the book or paper or whatever it was. I'll find it. Not 100 sure of. Yeah. In the show notes, we will also include Amy's Instagram and how you want to connect with her, her TikTok, 
for diving mm-hmm. and rock climbing TikTok in, in the show notes as well. Uh, just really want to quickly shout out our video guy, Torn Messer. He's walking around back here. Shout out to Soundspace and Lightbound Studios for having the space that I can record in now. Um, if you want to support this show, you can leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter to stay up to date on everything that's happening here. Don't forget, paid subscribers get access to our weekly companion pod key, our companion pod. Cast. I wanted to say pod piece. <laughs> podcast conversation notes. Um, and if you just want to chat about anything related to this episode or anything related to the show or just anything in general, um, drop us a DM at conversation pod piece on Instagram. You can also hit me up personally at Patrick and the world. And that's it. I hope you have a good November. Until next time, I'm Patrick Armstrong, and this has been Conversation Peace. Thanks, Amy. Thank you.